Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Good dystopian day to all of you out there in cyberspace, and welcome to this week's edition of Science Factual. We're going to jack into the Matrix and risk a flatline as we deep dive into William Gibson's classic 1984 genre-defining novel, Neuromancer. So let's all take our decks out and jack up together for a head trip into the cyberpunk novel that got it all started. The opening music for this week's episode comes from the Sonic Youth album Daydream Nation, but we'll get into why that's relevant in just a little bit. As you may or may not know, I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and I'm super excited to get into Neuromancer. This novel is an entire meal, including dessert and a doggy bag, so I'll do my best to bring you a succinct yet descriptive synopsis, as well as some facts behind the development of the novel and how it has influenced pop culture since its release. But before I get too far into all of that, it looks like I've triggered a security gate and a matrix-wide SPOILER ALERT! SPOILER ALERT! has just gone out across the net. So before I get flatlined for trying to share all of this juicy data with you about Neuromancer, I think it's important to issue this spoiler alert in case you had any designs on reading this epic story. I highly recommend it for anyone who's a fan of The Matrix and cyberpunk in general. I mean, if you like science fiction and haven't read this or at least have heard about it, that's like saying you're really into classical music without ever having heard Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. <laughs> I also got to sit down with Portland comedian Noah Linsk before the weekly comedy open mic at my father's place in southeast Portland, which is one of my favorite mics in the city and is hosted by the very awesome Michael J. Phelps. Signups are at 8.30 with the mic starting around 9. There's always a great crowd, a ton of funny comics, as well as great food and drinks, so make sure to check that mic out. You're also going to get to hear some material from Noah at the end of this episode, so make sure to stick around for that too. Alrighty folks, let's kick things off with a plot summary of the novel before getting into the facts behind writer William Gibson. Henry Dorset Case is a low-level hustler in the dystopian underworld of Chiba City, Japan in the year 2035. Once a talented computer hacker and console cowboy, Case was caught stealing from his former employer. As punishment, Case's central nervous system was damaged, leaving him unable to access the virtual reality data space called The Matrix. Case is approached by Molly Millions, an augmented Razor Girl and mercenary on behalf of a shadowy U.S. ex-military officer named Armitage, who offers to cure Case for his services as a hacker. Case agrees and his nervous system is repaired, though sacks of poison are placed in his blood vessels. If Case completes the job, Armitage will have the sacks removed. If not, they will burst and cripple him once more. Armitage has Case and Molly steal a ROM module that contains the saved consciousness of one of Case's mentors, legendary cyber cowboy McCoy Polly. Case and Molly discover Armitage's former identity as Colonel Willis Corto. Corto was a member of, quote, Operation Screaming Fist, meant to disrupt Soviet computer systems. As his team attacked a Soviet computer center, EMP weapons shut down their flight systems. He and a few survivors escaped over the Finnish border, but their helicopter was shot down, killing everyone except for Corto. After months in a hospital, Corto was visited by a U.S. government official who returned him to the United States to receive psychotherapy and reconstructive surgery. 
After providing what he came to realize was false testimony, misleading the public and protecting corrupt military officers, Cortos snapped, killed the official who contacted him, and disappeared into the criminal underworld becoming Armitage. Peter Riviera, the final member of the team, is another damaged individual who now has artificial implants. His implants enable him to project holographic images. Like Case, he's also a drug addict, and the sociopath is recruited in Istanbul, during a rather tumultuous job. With the team assembled, Case and Molly perform a small practice job to hone their skills working together. In the meantime, Case and Molly have become friends with benefits, if you know what I mean. Together, they steal the ROM module of McCoy Polly, a deceased cyber cowboy who was one of Case's mentors. The module contains Polly's saved consciousness, which contains his hacking expertise. They simulate a terrorist attack to steal the goods from SenseNet's corporate headquarters. The latter part of the novel takes place at Villa Straylight, the home of the rich and powerful Tessier Ashpool economic family. The home is on a Las Vegas-style cylindrical space resort orbiting Earth named Freeside. The family owns two different artificial intelligences, one called Wintermute and the other Neuromancer. In Bern, Switzerland, Wintermute is housed on a computer mainframe, and in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Neuromancer is on a physical mainframe. If fully joined, the two systems would become far too powerful, and the only way that they are currently joined is at a single computer terminal controlled by the Tessier Ashpools. Wintermute reveals itself to Case and explains that it is half of a super AI entity planned by the family. Wintermute was programmed with a need to merge with its other half, Neuromancer. Unable to achieve this by itself, Wintermute recruited Armitage and his team. Case is tasked with entering cyberspace to pierce the software barriers with an icebreaker program. Riviera is to obtain the password to the lock from Lady 3 Jane Marie France Tessier Ashpool, the CEO of the family's corporation. Armitage's personality starts to revert to the Corto personality as he relives Screaming Fist. It is revealed that Wintermute had originally contacted Corto through a computer during his psychotherapy creating his Armitage persona. As Corto breaks through, he becomes uncontrollable and Wintermute ejects him out into space. Riviera meets Lady 3 Jane and tries to stop the mission helping Lady 3 Jane and Hideo, her ninja bodyguard, capture Molly. Under orders from Wintermute, Case tracks Molly down. Neuromancer traps Case within a simulated reality after he enters cyberspace. He finds the consciousness of Linda Lee, his former girlfriend from Chiba City, who was murdered by one of his underworld contacts. He also meets Neuromancer, who takes the form of a young boy. Neuromancer tries to convince Case to remain in the virtual world with Linda, but Case refuses. The reason for Neuromancer's ruse is because he actually does not want to join with Wintermute, believing him to be unstable and that post-joining, he would lose his own sentience and being. With Wintermute guiding them, Case goes to confront Lady 3 Jane, Riviera, and Hideo. Riviera tries to kill Case, but Lady 3 Jane is sympathetic towards Case and Molly, and Hideo protects him. Riviera flees, and Molly explains that he's doomed anyway, as she has spiked his drugs with a lethal toxin. The team makes it to the computer terminal, and Case enters cyberspace to guide the icebreaker. Lady 3 Jane is induced to give up her password, and the lock opens. Wintermute unites with Neuromancer, becoming a superconsciousness. The poison in Case's bloodstream is washed out, and he and Molly are profusely paid, while Polly's wrong construct is apparently erased, at his own request. Molly leaves Case, who finds a new girlfriend anyway, and resumes his hacking work. Wintermute slash Neuromancer contacts him, claiming it has become, quote, the sum total of the works, the whole show, end quote, and is looking for others like itself. Having scanned recorded transmissions, the super AI finds a transmission emanating from the Alpha Centauri star system. While logged into cyberspace, Case glimpses Neuromancer standing in the distance with Linda Lee and himself. He also hears inhuman laughter, which suggests that Polly also still lives within the Neuromancer construct. The sighting implies that Neuromancer created a copy of Case's consciousness, which now exists with Linda's and Polly's in cyberspace. Kind of a sweet notion, even if the implications of having a rogue superconsciousness just out there. Now, that synopsis does a pretty good job of tackling the events that unfold throughout the novel, but reading it brings a whole new level of imagination into play. 
Gibson's writing style is so descriptive in that it sparks the old imagination, which is what I love about great science fiction writing. Not to influence your perspective on things, but I like to imagine the events unfolding in a world not dissimilar to that of the Altered Carbon series. Now that you have a bit of an idea about what exactly transpired throughout this densely packed novel, let's get into the mind of William Gibson and how this genre-defining piece of literature has affected pop culture. Okay, let's start off with what makes this novel a standout in the science fiction world. Neuromancer became the first novel to win the Hugo, the Nebula, and the Philip K. Dick Award. The Mail and Guardian described the achievement as, quote, the sci-fi writer's version of winning the Goncourt, Booker, and Pulitzer Prizes in the same year. Pretty hefty achievement. Aside from the accolades, the novel was written in 1984 and is accredited with coining the cyberpunk genre using terms like cyberspace, which actually first came to print in his short story Burning Chrome, which as far as short story sci-fi goes, rivals the ingenuity of anything his predecessors like Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, or H.G. Wells uh, brought to the table. Burning Chrome is one of my favorite short stories in the sci-fi genre, and when I do a short story episode, you can be sure to hear that amongst some other classics. Neuromancer has an interesting musical companion, Sonic Youth's classic 80s album Daydream Nation. One major inspiration is from the Sprawl trilogy, which takes its title from the fictional megacity which stretches from Boston to Atlanta. Sonic Youth translates this abstract influence into a wave of rising intensity and intricately tangled guitar riffs which seems to stretch and squeeze time. On the album, you'll find a track entitled The Sprawl, which is a great song. I also love the song Teenage Riot from the same album. Aside from kickstarting the 80s with the cyberpunk wave, Gibson was prolific in other genres as well, but never quite found the success he did from behind a typewriter in the sci-fi realm. He co-authored The Difference Engine, an alternate history novel that went on to become a staple of the emerging steampunk genre, the alt-tech cousin of cyberpunk that has more of an 1800s-1900s advanced tech vibe than that of the hyper-technological future like that which is described in Neuromancer. Now, we can't talk about Neuromancer without taking a look into another iconic sci-fi staple, The Matrix. <gasps> to say that Neuromancer influenced the Wachowskis when making The Matrix would be a massive understatement. I'd go more with that the novel directly informed the movie arc on many themes central to the novel Neuromancer itself, like the development of a team from a mysterious source in order to achieve a seemingly impossible goal, and of course, jacking into the Matrix, a hyper-simulation that has real-world physical consequences if not navigated properly. What's more is that in subsequent novels in the trilogy, we see the introduction of the direct skull implant to jack into the Matrix instead of having to use what's referred to as a deck, which is seen in Count Zero. Another nod from Count Zero, which uh, the events of the book transpire seven years after the events of Neuromancer, uh, strange things begin to happen in the Matrix, leading to the proliferation of what appear to be what are called voodoo gods, uh, which are hinted to be the fractured remains of the joint AIs that were Neuromancer and Wintermute, and could be the predecessors to what we know as the agents, like Agent Smith and his cohorts. Most notably, the trait that Agent Smith has that he wants to get out of the Matrix or dejoin himself from what has become of the amalgamation of Wintermute and Neuromancer. Potentially. Again, the stories are not directly linked in canon, but it is fun to have these thought experiments regarding the potential in crossover of story arc. Looking at Mona Lisa Overdrive, the concept of an all-encompassing computer program that is far beyond the capacity of any regular simulation, uh, bringing the complexity of the Matrix to the level that we come across in the film series, and again, not directly related in story arc, but very interestingly uh, tease up the events of the Matrix trilogy. And I would say that that idea is even further enforced by the events of the fourth film. I would go so far as to say that Neuromancer would act as a phenomenal prequel film to The Matrix, original trilogy, and subsequent fourth film expansion. The way that a super AI is effectively born that encompasses all of the technological cyberspace available to humankind with untold consequences uh, definitely tees up the events of The Matrix. Those consequences could very well be the bridge gap between the post-war society Case lives in and the machine-run world of The Matrix that we know with Neo. 
I've yet to fully read Count Zero and Mona Lisa Overdrive, but from their plot summaries, I can definitely see those storylines getting integrated into a prequel film or even films. And with CGI the way that it is today, that would be one hell of a visual mindfuck. In fact, I'm glad it hasn't been made into a movie yet. I want it to be like a super VR experience, like we're actually jacking into the Matrix to be a part of the film that could be Neuromancer. Speaking of movies, Gibson wrote the short story Johnny Mnemonic in 1981, which was later turned into another cyberpunk classic film, which we covered in episode 11 of this podcast, with the very funny Ben Harkins. So give that episode a listen to learn all about the movie version of Johnny Mnemonic. Hey, and there's another Keanu connection for you. Excellent! Still need convincing to read this book? Okay, sure. Let's just say that the sex scenes are... Amazing. And the movie should be made based on those alone. No way! But in all seriousness, this book did define a genre, and I realize that, you know, it's a bit underwhelming now technologically, but you have to think in 1984 terms. I mean, the internet hadn't even been invented by Al Gore yet. So I encourage you to place yourself in that mindset before reading Neuromancer and let your imagination build the world as described by William Gibson and try not to think about The Matrix too much. Speaking of The Matrix, I think it's important as a quick aside to note that the inspiration wasn't drawn solely from Neuromancer, although I will say that it's the most influential source material for the film. Other influences cited by the Wachowskis are an anime called Ghost in the Shell, which I will absolutely be covering in the future, as it is one of my favorites, and a film called Dark City, which came out the year before The Matrix in 1998, and is often cited in similarity between the overall visual and cinematic tones between the two films. The Matrix makes use of the very same sets Dark City used, as both were filmed in Australia, and a side-by-side -side viewing of each reveals some shared buildings and exterior shots. I mean, look, if history has shown us anything, it's that people build upon pre-existing ideas more often than not, which does create amazing art, but rarely does a unique thought emerge like that of Neuromancer from the weird brain of William Gibson. Up next, we have an interview with Noah Linsk, who I got to hang out with on Friday. Not only did we hit the mic at my father's place, but we also got to grab some stage time over at Funhouse Lounge, courtesy of the Midnight Mic and host Noah Watson. That's another great room located in southeast Portland and makes for a great combo if you're going out on a Friday night and don't quite want to go home after my father's place. At any rate, check out this interview with Noah. Noah, I have to tell you something. Yes. I'm dying. Well, that's rude of you. To die? To be dying? Well, I just think you haven't considered how, what... See the position that this leaves me in now. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I'm just I'm dying to tell you. Oh. Happy April Fools. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Got I got him. You got. That's. I've been. I was taking I've been waiting that all day to do okay, that. Okay. No, that's fair. I was taking that personally. Um, in a way, that is probably, you know, and in a way, like, now that I have, like, a little bit of emotional distance from the situation, I feel like I was making it very much about myself, and... Well, I'm glad that you're able to see that, and to acknowledge <laughs> that, and to, and to live in that truth. I want you to live in that truth. I mean, yeah. you know, we have such limited time on this planet, um, which is why we should spend it talking about Neuromancer. Okay, fantastic. And, you know, the, the voice other than my own right now that you hear is is the very funny Noah Linsk. Greetings, I am Noah Linsk. Have you ever been to Minsk? I have not, and I feel like I'm going to sort of postpone my traveling in that part of the world for a little while. Oh, good. oh solid call. <laughs> solid call, yeah. I was just thinking strictly geographically and not... Yeah. Soci uh, sociologically, <laughs> like the fact that they're invading mm. a sovereign nation. All right, <laughs> but that's that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Neuromancer. Thank you for that suggesting is it. Sort of yeah. what we're talking about. A bit, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Invading places you're not necessarily supposed to go. Well, and like Whether Neuromancer, it's space or cyberspace. Yeah. Well, no, neuro also Neuromancer has, um, you know, just to like go. Thank you. Way deep into the middle of the discussion, Neuromancer has a character 
uh, Willis Corto, who is a veteran of World War III. World War III having gone down, and it's sort of vaguely described, but World War III was some shit that happened in Eastern Europe. <laughs> well, and, you know, right, it, it seemed to be some sort of invasion scenario, right? Like, yeah. But the Russians successfully, you know, uh, yeah. thwarted that invasion. Yeah, it's a super interesting... Yeah, I was reading about Gibson's choice in doing that. And where he was like, you know, a lot of science fiction has predictability, and I wanted yeah. to do something that was so outlandish that people can just like live in the fantasy of the of the idea. Yeah, and thankfully that part has gone relatively true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, because the you know the sprawl doesn't sound like too great of a place to be living in. No, absolutely. But there is this like I don't know. It is like it is also like in a lot of ways a very fantastical setting. Yeah. And there is sort of this, like, well, for one thing, I mean, he's obviously, he's not, like, living in the suburbs or whatever. No, like he's straight in, up city living. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And presumably... He's living in the city. I guess now that I think about it, in the world of Neuromancer, there are people living in the suburbs as well. Yeah. God, I wonder what that would be like. <laughs> Supply chain completely broken down, like, oh, yeah. like roaming tribes of Karens. <laughs> like, we're just, like, hoping to get juiced on decks. Uh, no, uh, no, I think so long as they're putting up whatever metrics allow them to live on they're like <laughs> i have no idea so before we get started noah what's your instagram oh let me get you that information i will do you edit this right i do okay but god i love you for living in the moment you don't even know your instagram offhand you're just like i'm instagram i have it on this existing. phone oh well i know I, I do facebook i do the stupid um fucking like getting in arguments about shit that who fucking cares about on facebook it's yeah. horrible for me you mean spending your time wisely i just like i have no idea man it's um instagram there it is okay um, there's noah linsk is it possible that that's my instagram is noah linsk I'll let you know. Yes, no spaces, I believe. If this Just is... at Noah Linsk? I, yes, no spaces. Yeah, this okay. is true. Yeah, Noah Linsk, no spaces. No spaces. Okay, that's true. Okay, that works. Excellent. Fantastic. Yes, and that's L-I-N-S-K. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Noah, how did you get started in stand-up? Um, so I was living in Hawaii at the time, and I had always wanted to, and there was... um. I don't know. There were there was sort of a stand up community there, Thanks, and you would uh -huh. like. There were two guys, Brian and cheers, Tony. Who, thank you. Yeah, cheers. There was two guys, Brian and Tony, who you would be like at just like any random event anywhere in town, and it would be like a music event, and these two guys, Brian and Tony, would go up and like you know do stand up and like bomb because people were there to listen to music, <laughs> but they just like would keep showing up heroically. It's like an open mic. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so much worse than an open mic. And they just went up and bombed. And I was like, and so um, at some point I like looked into the open mics there. And I yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah. So Hawaii, um, nice. Yeah. yeah, I've never been, uh, but I I would love to be the farthest away from any other land source. Isn't it the most the most isolated island chain in the world? Oh, uh, I don't I have no idea. Yeah, I think that's that's correct. Mm. I mean, definitely... And if it isn't, yeah. I'll just edit it out. No, so that's, that's fair. Why, that's so why it sounds smart. I think you'll be able editing. to look at it. It's going to... It's going to... Yeah. Um, it's going to be great. Yeah. What I do know, I, I mean, is that, like, for sure, um, they are to the point... I mean, as are we all, but, like, supply chain shit can affect, you know, or, like, uh, when I lived there, there was... Um, we'll talk about, like, a microcosm, right? Yeah. Like, Hawaii is, like, its own biodome. Well, and Even island to island, right? Yeah, and one thing that I witnessed when I was there was the uh, somebody was operating a some kind of a digging machine mm -hmm. on Oahu, okay. and they cut through a cable that separated the entire state of Hawaii from the rest of the world, internet-wise, or whatever. Oh, they did like so, a sub, yeah. a sub uh, sea cable, and they 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 knocked out um they knocked out oh shit uh the all internet all you know. TV, anything, all banking. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, our entire society yeah, relies on the yeah, internet. Yeah, like, of like it yeah, was. Yeah, it was. It just like happened, and they had it fixed within a day or 
so, I think. But it really was like... It is literally your lifeline to the rest of the world. Right, and we're also... And and our society, like the society of Neuromancer, is so, you know, atomized and is so, like... Um, well, it, it's re- like Ready Player One is kind of reminiscent of that reliance on the internet. Are you familiar with that? I I know of it. It's sort of like, you know, pretty far down the list for me. I thought it it was a better read Mm. than it was a movie. Although the movie did it great. I mean, yeah, as good a job as as any. And we'll get to this question, but I really wish Neuromancer was like a prequel film to the Matrix trilogy. Yeah. um, So you sent me that thing, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to, like, Keanu Reeves, like, Whoa! Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it, dude. I, no, it, but, yeah. it, it all when I finished it and yeah. I digested it, it just clicked with me a bit, and I was like, man, like it would be such a great tee up to how things got to the way they were. No, so that's kind of like yeah. the Terminator. So, arc, so, so, I mean? so the two things that I want to say off of this is, you know, first of all, at a at a like not literally, but at a certain level, like, you know. Uh, you know, whatever metaphorically that did happen, because like the 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 sort of the aesthetic that Neuromancer establishes is like the Matrix wouldn't have happened without it. So cyberpunk wouldn't right, have happened. Exactly. It. I mean, it, it it ostensibly yeah you know jump started the genre. Yeah. I mean, in a very you know auspicious year, 1984. Right. Well, and I think that there's a certain extent to which, like, you know, maybe, like, these, the, the very specificity of how cyberpunk aesthetic is, I think there would be something like that for people to tell those stories. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. But his writing style and the way that he describes things, we have the same version of the of The, the of same the edition. Back, yeah. The same edition. Yeah. And uh, the foreword, I thought, was very interesting insofar as that he was like, you know, how, how do I describe something, you know, in, in such a unique way, the color, the sky was oh, yeah. the color of yeah, television. television static. Mm. I mean, that's what what a mind to at that time without any frame of reference, really. Although he says he's using the technological frame of reference that he has and expanding on it slightly. That futuristic, that dystopian futuristic society, like it's always. I, I feel like it, the Matrix does a good way of doing that, mm. where. You know, like parts of Los Angeles, it feels Blade Runner-ish. It feels like, right, like when yeah. I when I'm imagining it in my mind, you know, like I, I these old dirty spires that have just been built upon because they talk about you know like structures that have been around for centuries and yeah. things like that. And yeah, it's it, it's such an interesting. Um, yeah. God, I wish they would have made it into a movie. Well, so first of all, they make everything into a movie. They will probably make it into a movie at some point. I hope so. Um, I mean, they're you know. Uh, I mean, I don't know. To, so, I'd rather see that yeah. than Mobius. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, I would probably go watch uh, a Neuromancer um, movie. Like, the thing is, like, the only limiting factor of it is is that, like, because a lot of that visual vocabulary exists elsewhere, it's like, I haven't seen the new Blade Runner. I love the first Blade Runner. I, I haven't just haven't seen, bothered I, with the new one. I haven't bothered yeah. with 2049 too yeah. much outside of, like, self-spoiling because I covered Blade Runner with Ben Levy oh, yeah. as one of the earlier episodes. So, like, uh, yep, doing great. Thank you. Um, so, we're, uh, you know, it, I will watch it, but, yeah. like you said, not high on the list. Uh, speaking of which, what was your first exposure to sci-fi? Oh, um... First exposure to sci-fi. I mean, I don't know. I think I grew up in a in a Star Wars household. Um, like in, in terms of like partisan divide. Um, yeah. I think that like the first thing that I got really into independently was um, I had these like omnibus editions of uh, X Men comics mm. from like the. Who's uh, your favorite X Men? Just a quick aside. Um, certainly a, at the, t- at the time it was Nightcrawler by far. I feel like I've maybe I've moved Great into character. being maybe more of a a, a beast, a beast okay. liker at this point. Oh my stars and garters is a wonderful catchphrase. I think it's very like you know it's very fun and, and he's uh, smart and he's smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. you're Harry, right. and I'm Harry. We have a lot in common. <laughs> you got blue skin. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> what, uh, what about author William Gibson? Because I, I mean, other than. So yeah, the, I have the one Neuromancer and or the Sprawl trilogy, which I'll eventually purchase down the line. So this is the first thing I've, I've yeah. This is the first thing I bought by him. 
You know, I picked it because, like... It is a classic. It, well, and also, like, I had read it quite recently when we were having this conversation, and it was okay. like, this is a classic. This yeah. is, like, Neuromancer is not my fa- favorite book. Like, there are other books that I like better, but, like, I start to, like, think about, like, whoa, what do I want to talk about with this? Neuromancer, the things about Neuromancer are something you can realistic that are, like, that make Neuromancer awesome or something that you can realistically talk about in a short period well, of time. Well, it's so heady. Yeah. It's super heady. It forces you to imagine... Right, you know, because the way that Gibson frames yeah. things, you know, like there is no frame of reference. So there are a lot of, I, I had to reread a couple of chapters, you yeah. know, just to, and, and I also read a number of synopses, uh, you know, and elaborations on various chapters and yeah. story arcs and things like that. Yeah, you know, like at first I didn't realize that uh, Riviera was uh, uh, projecting. The yeah, I actually to still hide don't... his drug addiction and things like that, like or like the okay. way that he was spiking up and stuff like. Like I, I, it, I had to read that a See, couple of times okay. to realize. I and... understood that he was spiking up. I didn't understand how he was doing the illusions. I didn't read where it said holograms, and so I like read through oh, this and yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, is it like clearly this is intended to be a science can... fiction thing? Right, but yeah. like, I like, like how I guess was it's he applying be that technique? Yeah, yeah. He, he had a, an, ingra- uh, an implant, a hologra- holographic implant, where he yeah. can like make things appear right which is, which is super awesome well, I, I think that's I think one, the, of the, yeah. one, of, one of the coolest you know like that's a very dramatic scene implants that i've ever yeah. heard of i mean so that's so first of all like that's a cool like piece of science fiction technology and i i, I don't know that's one that i guess like didn't grab me as much but i do like when there is like a piece of science fiction technology that just like they really like explore i think i didn't understand the hologram part of it uh at the time but like i thought he was a great a good creepy character. Super uh, creepy character. Yeah. <laughs> well, because when they first encounter him and his body crumples and these, like, mechanical arms come out of, like, the dead body and it's, like, blood splattering on the wall. And yeah. Crazy shit. I was like, what, he's a mech? He was a mech with, like, a with a skin suit and organs and he just, like, blew. But then when, like, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Molly subdues him and he's, like, his he re- returns back to human form or what have you, you realize it's a hologram. You're like, Dude, <laughs> okay. Like, like, what is going on here? This is such a mind yeah. fuck. I mean, it's, I think it's I think like I a, maybe like a scanner darkly. I think you know I, I maybe mean? like the first time I saw a scanner yeah. darkly, I was like visually like, what is happening in this movie? So I haven't seen the film or read the book of the scanner darkly, but I think that there was so much like so much craziness and so much what's happening that I kind of like read that and I was like, oh, I I guess like this is Riviera, and that's just the thing I have to accept about the world, that this, like, right. you know, like, and then, okay, it was, like... <laughs> but turn back at any moment. Right, well, and I think that that's sort of, like, but also, like, even beyond that, like, I, the book really is, like, every page of the book is, like, something is, like, intensely crazy happening in that yeah. moment. Yeah, Um, like, I even think about, like... It's nonstop. His, it was, it was yeah. hard to not read 75 to 100 pages per session of reading it. It's, yeah, well, and it's... Which is hours at a time, like, dude, it's hard... It, it's hard for me to become so engaged with a book. I, I mean, I was, the other, I was the other, super yeah. into it. On the other hand, it's like everything is like one thing is, is leading into another. I had a different experience of it where I think I probably read it 20, 30 minutes at a setting because I was reading it before going to bed. Uh, I was so reading it 20, 30 minutes at a setting. I got through it still fairly quickly. It's a quick read. Do you dream um, in the book that you read? I, don't. I, I tend to do that if I don't yeah. smoke a lot of weed before I go to bed. Yeah, I don't... If I smoke too much weed, I don't dream. I don't really retain my dreams super well. I've always... Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, I never really have. Um, well, but, I, I used to uh, use that as an escape when I was a kid. Like, I would dream about whatever book I was reading in order to, like, escape reality okay. or, like, have, yeah. a, have relatively lucid dreams. Not that I had as a, as a kid yeah. the, you know, skill set, but... Have you read any of the other Sprawl trilogy books? Because I haven't. No, I haven't either. Because uh, it, it's, it's Count Zero... Then Neuromancer, or it's Neuromancer Count Zero, then Mona Lisa Overdrive. Okay. I, I think it, yeah. so. There are two others. See, that's the thing. Like, like Asimov and Bradbury, like they write these collections or these like you know multi-part series, and yeah. it's like I I love you, yeah, I love you, wow. but I, I I can't, I can't do it. I mean, I people feel like who that's read fifty-two with, books a year. I'm like, you know, hats off to you. And, uh, you know, I have more power to you for being able to do that on a weekly basis. But that is that is one thing about this podcast that is beneficial. Yeah. I, every week, or, I mean, you know, like I'll be doing Battlestar Galactica with Logan Lockmiller. Sure. And that is a 
there's four seasons. There's okay. like 24 episodes a season. They're an hour long each. I'm okay. going to put a bullet in my brain by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely like... No, I mean, it's, it's a huge investment. It it's a huge investment of time. I mean, yeah. like, you're doing the... Um, you're doing the Star Trek. I've seen there's a couple of Star Trek episodes with various people or whatever. Star Wars family, all of May is going to be Star Wars episodes. Okay. So it's five, five, oh, right, week, May five weeks yeah. in May. So okay. it'll be, you know, one through three, four through six, seven through nine. But, but also in between, like, you know, like the, the Clone Wars and some of the books, yeah. uh, some of the uh, ancillary uh, movies like Rogue One and Solo, yeah. unfortunately. Is, well, I mean, like, yes. And... But a Wookiee Christmas. Chewbacca's Wookiee Christmas. We'll be covering that as well. So the thing that I'm going to say in the defense of Solo is that, like, I don't know, everything about Solo indicated to me that I didn't want to see it, and it was very forthright and honest with me in that respect, that it was like, hey, Noah, you don't want to see this, you know? So it, it verified your yeah, yeah it was your like, suspicions. I totally. feel like I really stuck with Star Wars right up until Rogue One, and then I was like, I'm totally done with Star Wars, and that was yeah. exactly the perfect timing for that, because as far as I... No one is satisfied with the stuff after that. I thought Wait, Rogue One you? was so much fun. I loved like, Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One was so great. That Any, was the right time to get out, man. Anybody who talks shit on Rogue mm. One can eat it. The no, way, the yeah, way it ties into, into the beginning of 4... Oh, my God. ...is like, so perfect. Yeah, no, yeah. It's it is just everything like, that I've always wondered as a kid, right? Like, because you're... At the beginning of 4... I just this accepted is a, this that is a, many Bothans had died. We're taking a big old right turn right now. <laughs> we're taking a right turn right into fanboydom, uh, which is fine. But, like, you know, you always think about, like, you're thrust into this situation at the beginning of New Hope, and it's like... What is going on here? Yeah. There's this battle. There's two sides, obviously. Yeah. This dude has powers. It, it sews up so much and it tees up so much that it's like, I think it's brilliant in its and, own right. And, and Reese, and, yes. and here's how I'm going to do your job for you. Tell me now. Okay. The same way that Rogue One is like nonstop action yes. is the same way that Neuromancer is nonstop action, where oh they're bouncing God. from one place to another the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just crushed that. Way to reel it in. Thank you so much. That's so true. But no, so, but it is It is like the thing is. that makes it a very accessible read. I think it's the thing that you're finding that you have to binge read it. I think, oh, it's, I think it's like really like the it's defining feature of it is its intensity. It's a page turner. So yeah. let me ask you this. What's your favorite job sequence? Because it's, it's job after job after job after job. Um, Whether it's Case killing himself with jobs or getting picked up by Armitage or Corto slash Winremute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, my favorite, and it, it wasn't a job sequence, it was when, um, or no, it was a little bit of, like, the getting picked up or whatever, where he, like, realizes, oof, it's been a minute, but, like, at some point he, like, realizes that Molly is following him, and he thinks that she's an assassin, right. and he jumps out a window to get away, and, then, like, overestimates how tough he is and falls a block and just lands on the sidewalk, and he's like, oh, fuck. Like, away, like looks up and just, like, sees, like, a coded figure, and he's like, all right, I'm gonna live away now. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like strung out as fuck. Yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah, which like, I get it, dude. You know, like, um, but like the level of intensity. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But, yeah. No, it's it's a good job. I I personally like uh, when he finds out about Armitage slash Corto on the London job, where he first gets super close to Wintermute. And right. He's, and he's like, all right, well, I'm Is gonna this... I'm gonna risk flatlining. Yeah. Basically, in order to get to the, is this the part where Wintermute is like showing up in other people's faces and? Th this is the part where Molly comes in and she's suspicious of who Armitage is, and like this is how they find out that he's Corto. Right, I remember, because Wintermute reveals that. Hard to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so like when he's about to be jacked out mm. in that sequence, Wintermute picks up on his on his signal before he gets cut out. Maybe I'm confusing that with his inter with his interaction with Neuromancer. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that all of the things it's that so happen much. are it's so, so much happens. Much. It's, oh. a it's a story where it's an enormous lot. amount of stuff happens, yeah. and like every chapter you're reading, you're like, it's just throwing so much information new, at you. New stuff that you have to then right, try to and it's overwhelming. Back. And yeah. and and the thing that's really cool about it, though, is because like um. And the thing that I really enjoyed about it is that all of that is also world building, and really the strength sure. of the novel. Sure. Because, um, 
Well, and that's yeah. that's what led me to okay. Like I have the I haven't watched Matrix Four. I'm going on one through three. I'm basing it off of that, yeah. and I'm looking back at Neuromancer's story arc, and I'm like, holy fuck, this is the Matrix equivalent of Skynet getting set so up. For basically. sure, the people, yeah, like, the Interpol people who arrest Case at one point, that's right. what they think is going to happen. They're right. like, you're selling out humanity. Oh yeah, you're and, trying to merge these two yeah. AIs. And so AIs. like, certainly, and even Neuromancer yeah. as an AI is like, I don't want to merge with Wintermute. Yeah. He's kind of fucking crazy. So, so it's like, <laughs> the thing is though, like. Boy, if this leads to, um, if this leads to the Matrix, the Matrix then or boy, the, were those the, Interpol people right? right. <laughs> okay, so that, so okay, we're, we're bringing it on home now. Does Wintermute slash Neuromancer eventually become the architect, the entity that Neo? I have not seen the Matrix in a very long time. Okay, but you remember when the Neo... There is an Neo, architect, he has a suit. He yeah. has a white, he has a cream-colored suit, <laughs> ball and out of control. He's got a lot of TVs. God, that is but, something Wintermute would do. Right? <laughs> so Wintermute. That's just so Wintermute. It's, it's, it's his vibe. It's just... It's, it's his vibe. And you're, but Neuromancer is the control version. I, I feel like Neuromancer then would have been corrupted by Wintermute and created the agents... Of the Matrix for the control mechanism. All right. Did you bring your tinfoil? Because mm. we're really getting into it. All yeah. right. Okay. Because the, the Matrix resets itself multiple times. I think it's like the sixth iteration throughout this, the story arc of one through three. Right? Mm. But And, and the, the architect says, like, you know, that I'm trying to, be, to create the more perfect form of the Matrix, but it's this dichotomy of the two initial AIs that came together and... They, Neuromancer slash Wintermute comes back and says to Case, "Hey, I've encompassed everything by BT Scrubs. Like I'm, I am everything now. Right. By the way, and Case is just like, all right, <laughs> cool. And Molly's like, I'm gonna go do my thing because you're kind of dragging me down. He's like, all right, whatever. I'll just find this other broad. But but like, it's just such a. It feels like I feel like that kind of innocuous ending is so perfect to like." you would then segue even into a second prequel mm. pre-Matrix. Like, Neuromancer, well, then I mean, another like, one, then the Matrix trilogy, then Matrix 4. So Then it loops back to fucking Neuromancer. So here's, so here's, so here's what I'm going to say. is yeah. like, you really are making me want to read the other two books because I, right. I haven't, I haven't I read have them. I have no frame of reference But also, there's, yeah. there's no way that, like, that, like, fundamentally what having these, you know, two, Neuromancer and, um, and Wintermute yeah. being merged or whatever. What are the consequences? Nobody knows. Like, I mean, yes. Well, except for that there's no way that they're not world-changing in the next two books. So oh, presumably sure the consequences yeah, of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that but would be... But it is called the yeah. Sprawl series, so I feel right. like it does, like, it... Per, well, like, and that's... It, 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 think, the nation, if you will, persists yeah. throughout the story arc. Right. Or it could get destroyed. No, I, think, I, don't, I don't know. Actually, no, I think that there's also a good chance. And also, like, as far as, like, I think it's it, just as likely that the world more or less continues as it is in Winter Ma and Wintermute Neur Neuromancer. Did they... What's the final name? It's it's just it's just uh, okay. a, a, like okay. a, a slash yeah Wintermute Neuromancer yeah um I might just be like okay I'm gonna be one player in this world and keep an eye on shit and not necessarily feel the need to overturn the apple cart like so is Wintermancer sounds kind of cool but Wintermancer Neuromute sounds like a... <laughs> sometimes sounds don't we bad. all feel a little bit like a Neuromute sometimes I, like when I try to come up with jokes. So I wanted to say, um, you know, I really like that scene at the beginning where they're sort of like at the bar in Night City. And I will say that because it's the Sprawl trilogy, I feel like I didn't get as much Night City as I wanted. Like most of the book takes place in space and not in the Sprawl, which like, yeah. Yeah, whether it's uh, Freeside or Zion. Yeah. I like the, the made, you know, if Zion started in space. I feel like that migration could be a side story in the movies arc. Now it's two movies before the maze, two prequels, pre Matrix, two movies covering Neuromancer and the other. Okay. I, 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 we're going to pitch this. We're, okay, we're, we're no, gonna, no, we're, we're no. Gonna, I'm, I'm down to work it out. I, I need yeah. to advocate for this. Okay, so, um, the uh, whole, the whole uh, time I was, I was visualizing it. In modern movie terms, like I was, I was, I would read a passage or two, yeah. And if I needed to put myself in that headspace, I would close my eyes, yeah. 
I would build Chiba City or yeah. Night City or Zion or wherever it yeah. is that they were. Futuristic London, even. You yeah. Because, like, I've been to London and seen the mixture of new and old school, and I would love to see what it would look down in, like, this dystopian rundown, like... Uh, no, yeah, weird. sorry, you just you just made yeah. me think of something. Yeah. The Zion thing, um, almost certainly, I mean, the Wachowskis had to have read the... Oh, well, it, it, read, was, yeah. it was the motivator. Of yeah. course, and and so um, I wonder if Malcolm, Malcolm uh, is... Malcolm. Malcolm, I guess it's That's Malcolm. how I read it. Okay, yeah. well, I, I wonder if he's like a precursor character to Morpheus, because he was a very fun character. He showed up. I, I wasn't entirely sure why he was so, like... I see Tank and Dozer. Remember Tank and Tank Dozer? Tank and Dozer. Oh no, absolutely. I, I see in terms that of for Malcolm and the, the, and, the uh, level at which at which Malcolm has fucking like this like degenerate fucking insane person who's gonna fucking ruin his life, just like wander and just like land on Malcolm's lap, and that he just like completely has his back. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, hey, look, you know, they, they were smoking a lot of that space weed in Zion. Oh, Maybe not the best decisions, but you know. It, if if the if the elders say say so, uh, so it shall be. Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's an absolute fucking mind trip. Yeah. Uh, and and I thank you for bringing it yeah. back to my attention. I had been meaning to read it. I you know every because I I I saw the first Matrix in theaters yeah. when I was like a boy. Because uh, I think it was what 1999, right? 1999. Yeah. yeah, I have a good first Matrix story. You got a good first Matrix story? What's your first Matrix? My story? My first Matrix story. My parents told me I was going to be seeing like, hey, it's like an artsy fartsy serious film, and you need to be serious and stay, and you need to not be disruptive. You're going to be bored and you're going to hate it, but you need to sit still wow. and appreciate How old were you? it. I was like eight. I, yeah, I was, I was nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I went in there like, this sucks, I'm so mad, and then immediately just Trinity jumps up in the air. Right. And takes like, the guys, I was like, <laughs> this is the best thing ever. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. That's like a good prank to play on your kid. I had it yeah. on VHS. I mean, that's how I, I, okay. I loved it. Have you heard of the Matrix Killings? The Matrix Killings. Or at least the Matrix Defense. Um, no. There was this guy, I forget his name, I, I feel like it was Josh something. Yeah. But And he gives an interview from jail where he says, you know, he watches the Matrix hundreds of times. He has the black trench coat and the black boots and whatever. And he's convinced that he's living in a simulation. Yeah. So he goes oh, okay. and fucking wastes his parents with a shotgun. Okay. And then gives the matrix his his defense team like tried to give the matrix defense is what it was known as by saying like hey you know like he was influenced by the nature of this movie yeah and I mean, that you know in turn right yeah and he was like no I mean you know like yeah. I love the matrix and yes that is what prompted it but I also take responsibility for what I did which is which I mean you know yeah. good mean, good for him I guess but Charlie also the Manson. way that he describes yeah. it is fucking horrifying. Yeah, uh, the Manson influence. He wrote Helter Skelter, yeah. and people are like, is that the Beatles' fault? Fucking no. no. <laughs> no some fucking weird, like, zip dabs up, you know, out in the desert, you know, like, yeah. Charlie, yeah. Just Charlie, man. <laughs> it's like, just fuck Charlie Manson. I, although, have you have you heard his music? A buddy of mine has, a, he has, he has his, his you know, shit, an LP of his. Do you know who is currently trying to make it as a musician, and who I want to support, uh, and I want to plug right now, uh... Uh, John Hinckley Jr. Um, he's out. Yeah, he's out of jail, and no, he's, and he has he music. has he has a music project that he's like really trying to get off the I ground, know. and like, I God know. bless him, you know, man who did nothing wrong, like, yeah. Uh, well, he, <laughs> in true phony fashion, he's selling out. Uh, yeah, I guess now wasn't, he is. Selling out. Wasn't he the? Wasn't it's the shot, shot Ronald Reagan? Right. Yeah. In order to impress Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yeah. But yeah. wasn't he also influenced oh. by J.D. Salinger's... Uh, that might have been... Um, the Phonies. No, I. so that might have been, but I think that was also... Holden Caulfield. Yes, but I think that it was also... What's the guy it? who shot John Lennon was also very, if I recall... Oh, maybe I'm getting him crossed up. Influen anyway, no. Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. I was cycling my brain through everything but the title while you were talking. Oh, um, yes, Catcher, no, Catcher no, in the that, Rise. That yeah. was uh, not John Hinckley Jr. That was um, Mark David Chapman. Mark, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it was uh, yeah. John Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. I read a book 
when I was in high school crime. about uh, the guy was like trying to say that the CIA assassinated or the the FBI assassinated John Lennon was the argument of the book, and it was poorly argued. But in high school, it was no. real fucking <laughs> a conspiracy theory that was poorly argued. I don't believe it. It was a fun read, man. I had a great time. I mean, like <laughs> I, I get I why imagine. people I get why people like believe that stuff. It's it's a blast. It's a blast. <laughs> Did you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? I do D and D. Okay, yes. so there is a game that I played in like high school that is Shadowrun, that is like a D and D style game. Okay, um, that is like set in a um, like a it's very much like it's a sprawl universe. So it's it's an available it's a role playing game that's set in a thing that's very similar to Neuromancer, I guess. And tread lightly. This is a sci fi podcast. Okay, and yeah, it sounds very fantasy. Is it, it's a sci-fi D&D. No, it's a, it's it's sci-fi D. Well, I guess there is magic in that one. There are other there are other cyberpunk well, um, role-playing so games. Yeah, so there is magic in it, but it's it's very very, like it's 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 very it's I mean it's cyberpunk. It's it's yeah. What's it called? Uh, Shadowrun. Shadowrun. They made a video game of it as well at some point. I don't know when, and I don't know if it was any good. I, yeah. Great suggestion. Yeah, but anyway. If people are thinking like, man, this seems like such a cool aesthetic, but fuck reading. Which What's up, is like, Yeah. How you doing? Or we could just, yeah. Conceivably, we could edit out that whole section and just do the outro. I don't know. I, I was, No, yeah. no. Look, hey, I, if you want to nerd out about something, I'm more than happy to nerd out about something. Shadowrun, I'm going to check it out. You already, you know, bringing Neuromancer back into my life. Yeah. I thank you for it. Who knows about Shadowrun? Could could be the next hot craze. Good thing I have my dodecahedron. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah. dice are involved. Or there, dice there are, are dice. It's okay, a bunch of. Yeah. It's a bunch of. The thing is, like now that I actually think about it, the thing is though Die, now, rather, now that I'm sorry. now that I'm thinking about it, it's like as soon as I want to like make the case for why it's good, it's like oh I'm gonna have to get like really in depth about like the rules of, of tabletop role playing games and that's probably wow. not this is probably not the right not the time or place. <laughs> Sounds great for your sex but life. It's, it's oh you have yeah. no idea. You can't imagine. Yeah. I do. I yeah. Spend, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well barring that uh, well Noah, you know, I appreciate you coming through and oh. talking to me about this. Where can we hear before besides this mic right now, where can we hear you perform next? Yeah, I um get off uh, I mean I just like get days off of work and I go to open mics and yeah. I haven't really gotten yeah like su- like I have a I have a pretty random schedule and I don't know I yeah so we'll catch you around Portland yes indeed indeed righteous thanks okay let's, well let's grab a beer before the mic starts I'm down I'm down I'm down Thanks again, Noah, for bringing this novel to the table. We talked after the mic, and it looks like we're going to be cooking up a monthly segment called The Book Report, where Noah will drop in to review a science fiction novel of his choosing, and we'll nerd out about it before an open mic. In the meantime, you know what that sound means. It's time for your water cooler facts. Whenever I cover a novel, I try to reserve information about the author for the water cooler facts, so let's take a look at author William Gibson. William Ford Gibson, born March 17, 1948, is an American-Canadian speculative fiction writer and essayist widely credited with pioneering the science fiction subgenre known as cyberpunk. Beginning his writing career in the late 1970s, his early works were noir, near-future stories that explored the effects of technology, cybernetics, and computer networks on humans, a, quote, combination of low-life and high-tech, and helped to create an iconography for the information age before the ubiquity of the internet in the 1990s. Gibson coined the term cyberspace for widespread interconnected digital technology in his short story Burning Chrome in 1982 and later popularized the concept in his acclaimed debut novel Neuromancer in 1984. These early works of Gibson's have been credited with, quote, renovating science fiction literature in the 1980s. Now, at first, Gibson didn't know how to write novels. Gibson had written and published several short stories before Neuromancer, but was so inexperienced with novels that he didn't even know how long they were supposed to be. He had to ask some fellow writers uh, on how many pages he would need, double-spaced. 
when he was told 300 pages, he was terrified. And with that in mind, Neuromancer was written in a panic. Uh, Gibson described the writing process as, quote, blind animal panic, and it took him three months to write his short stories, so he thought a novel would take him four to five years. Yet his contract demanded the finished novel in a year. His goal was never to write an acclaimed novel, but just to produce something publishable. In fact, Neuromancer was rewritten several times. Gibson was so afraid of losing the reader that he rewrote the first two-thirds of the book 12 times. Yes, you heard that right. According to a media portal's report, William Gibson rewrote the novel Neuromancer 12 times. According to the report, William Gibson saw the 1989 film Blade Runner, and after watching the movie, the cyberpunk author thought that his book would be a failure. Hence, he rewrote his debut novel. Gibson also didn't want to turn this into a trilogy, and he added the final sentence of the novel, quote, he never saw Molly again, at the last minute. Uh, the sentence was meant to be a deliberate attempt to keep from ever writing a sequel to Neuromancer because he felt sequels would cheapen his work. Of course, later Gibson wrote two sequels, Count Zero and Mona Lisa Overdrive. Now, Gibson didn't know much about computers and ironically was nearly computer illiterate when he wrote Neuromancer. He wrote the novel on a manual typewriter and had never even seen a real computer before then. He actually credits his ignorance with the success of the novel because he was able to romanticize it. When he actually got a computer for the first time, he was disappointed by how ordinary it seemed. At the end of the day, it turns out Gibson doesn't really like Neuromancer. Uh, today, Gibson actually has a low opinion of the novel and has referred to the novel as, quote, an adolescence book, and later said about his younger self, you know, I'd buy him a drink, but I don't know if I'd loan him any money. Funny guy. As always, I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode, which include Wired.com, TheGuardian.com, SuperSummary.com, Wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true, insights from reading the novel closely, with a shout-out to Powell's Books in downtown Portland, Oregon, who's been supplying me with more books than I know what to do with, and my wife Amanda for putting up with me having the lights on late while I steam through various sci-fi and true crime novels while she tries very desperately to sleep. Next week, we head back to TV land with a dive into one of my favorite series, which was tragically cut short before its time, Firefly. Oh, Nathan Fillion, you just, oh, you're so, so handsome, it hurts. It hurts. Our guest is also a handsome boy, and it's Leroy Furwood. He's been on a comedy tour throughout the great state of Oregon, so we met up over the phone to gab about Firefly before he competes in Eugene at the Golden Mike Comedy Contest for all the guts and glory that we get into comedy for. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You can catch fresh new episodes of Science Factual still in the box each and every Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Make sure to download the free Shady Pines Radio app wherever you get your apps and tune in to nonstop awesome content any time of day. Since you've been so patient, I think it's only right you receive this upload of the very funny Noah Linsk. Enjoy! Hi. Um, so my therapist asked me if I've been having any paranoid thoughts lately, as if I'm going to tell that CIA son of a bitch anything. <laughs> Um, let's see, what can I tell you? I was, I was, I was fat as a kid. Um, I was a bigger, and I, and I tell you, I hated myself. I did. I, um, but I, uh, I started going to the gym and eating better, lost weight, gained muscle, and now I know that the fat was not the issue. Um, let's see here. I just got out of a medium-term relationship. Uh, it was one of these secret relationships which, uh, if you don't know, is when she says to you, just don't tell anyone in our friend group that we're dating, um, which someone's figured out is code for, I'm going to cheat on you with one of your friends. Um, that's not a joke. I just needed to process that. And <laughs> you all seem like good listeners. <laughs> so let's see here. Uh, I'm a big fan of spicy food. I like spicy food a lot. I think that um, eating spicy food is a lot like going home with a crazy girl. Because uh, in the moment, you're like, oh, I love this. This is my favorite, you know? Uh, and then the next morning, you wake up, and you're like, oh, I made a mistake. 
and now my asshole hurts. Uh, shoot, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the first two guys in the Superman spotting sequence. Um, by which I mean the first guy, obviously, is the guy who goes, look, up in the sky, it's a bird. Because you got to figure, he's doing that all day, right? <laughs> look, it's a bird. Look, it's another bird. <laughs> but that guy, obviously not in full command of his faculties, who I really think is the problem is the second guy, the guy who goes, idiot, that's not a bird, it's a plane. <laughs> You know, the motherfucker walking around pointing at birds. Let him be wrong. Uh, and then to be wrong yourself. Is that the... Is that? Uh, let's see here. Uh, my phone uh, is always spying on me all the time, uh, which uh, I think is a real problem. It's getting to the point where I can't even make an innocent joke about bombing a federal building oh w without getting these targeted ads for ammonium nitrate. <laughs> Thank you.